You're listening to a podcast from the House of Literature in Oslo, presenting adapted versions of lectures and conversations featuring international writers and thinkers. You can find more information about the House and our events on our website. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the House of Literature and to this event with Kira Jarmisch and Jette Christensen. My name is Madeleine Jademetz, and I work with the literary program here at the house. For obvious reasons, uh, the interest in Russian politics has spiked in the last five weeks. The newspapers are filled with opposing stories from the two sides. Those who support the politics of Vladimir Putin and those who do not. In times like these, we can often be, it can often be helpful to look to the arts to find other perspectives than those features in bold and dividing headlines. What is it actually like to live in Russia today? Kira Yarmish's debut novel, Incredible Events in Women's Cell Number no. 3, is exactly that, an insight into Russian lives not often featured on the news. Following Anya Romanova in her 10-day stay in the Russian prison, as well as the five very different women sharing cell number three with her, the novel gives a complex view of the lives of young Russian women today and issues such as class, gender and sexuality, corruption and political oppression. Kira Yarmush is best known in Russia as a PR advisor to opposition politician Alexei Navalny, she is no stranger to the inside of Russian cells herself, having been arrested at several occasions. And incredible events in women's cell number three is partly based on her own experience. Yarmish is joined on stage by Jette Christensen, a social scientist and former member of parliament with more than 10 years experience on the Foreign Affairs and Defense Committee. Today, she is vice president at the Council of the Norwegian Helsinki Committee. Please welcome to the stage Jette Christensen and Kira Jarmisch. Thank you very much for joining us here in Norway and coming here tonight to talk to me. Thank you very much for inviting me. <laughs> uh, so as uh, Madeleine said, we will talk about corruption, we will talk about women's prison, we will talk about... Uh, the war, and uh, we will talk about um, um, uh, how it is to be impersonated to fight for uh, your own freedom. Just normal things that the girls talk about in <laughs> women prisons <laughs> on a Friday night. <laughs> um, to me, you are one of the most important persons uh, alive right now. Your fight for uh, Russia against Putin, for freedom and against corruption is uh, remarkable. Thank uh, you very much. <laughs> I'm looking forward to um, to be a bit more uh, familiar with your project. But first of all, can you tell us, uh, as far as I'm concerned, you're the only one in the room who has been inside a Russian prison. Uh, <laughs> so can you tell us a bit about how does it smell? Uh, <laughs> well... Uh, Actually, it smells um, ordinary. I mean, there, is, uh, there isn't any particular smell inside, uh, but th there are many other issues. For example, well, for example, you have um, a shower only one uh, day a week, which is <laughs> a surprise when you came here or there. And uh, the other thing is that there is a radio that is um, 
going on uh, during um, the whole day. So, I mean, you just can't ignore it. First, in the beginning, you think that it is some kind of entertainment. But um, in a couple of hours, uh, you stop thinking this, and if you have 25 days, as I once had, <laughs> then uh, it can, can be quite challenging. <laughs> Uh, and why is uh, oranges not allowed in a Russian prison? Well, this is a very interesting question. Um, actually, yes, um, this is true. This is true. Uh, oranges and um, anything that is soft, uh, I mean, from food, isn't allowed um, into Russian prison because uh, policemen are afraid that you can pierce uh, the fruit with, with a needle and pump alcohol inside. So it may sound uh, ridiculous, but this is why, uh, uh, like, cucumbers are not allowed, and, for example, like, tom tomatoes are not allowed. Uh, but uh, radish is, well, because it is firm. <laughs> um, we're going to talk uh, a bit more about why on earth you were an, in prison. Uh, I, as far as I'm concerned, many people who find themselves in Russian prison have this thought, why am I here? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but one more detail that is very much described in your book um, that I've always been curious about. How do cigarettes work as a valuta uh, in uh, prison? Oh, well, because everyone uh, smokes there and so it is very easy to achieve something, to gain something if you just, um, well, you can exchange cigarettes uh, on some other stuff you need. Uh, so yes, it, um, usually even people who don't smoke, uh, they ask um, to be brought cigarettes uh, inside this prison so they can exchange it to something they need. So yes. How cigarettes. many cigarettes are a bottle of shampoo? Uh, well, well, uh, there is not um, uh, not such thing. I mean, in detention centers, because people is there are usually quite friendly. So I mean, they will share shampoo with you anyway. Uh, but, uh, well, for example, I guess uh, five cigarettes for um, three apples, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> in which you also describe very well in, uh, in uh, your book. But let's start with the most obvious question. Why were you impersonated? Uh, well, I was in detention center four times uh, and... Um, Every time I was there because of organizing an authorized uh, rally, but actually for a tweet. So I just tweeted uh, about place and date and time when I call people to go on streets. Uh, and so that, uh, then I was just um, detained, afterwards arrested, and uh, uh, spent one time I spent five, five days, the other time I spent 25 days for this, and it was uh, quite a surprise for my cellmates because, um, well, when you enter your cell, of course everyone um, is interested why you are here, so they ask you what have you done, and um, uh, I had a cellmate who had three days for stealing a bottle of alcohol from a supermarket. And I was there for 25 days for a single tweet. Well, <laughs> this is how Russian system works. You're probably uh, a bit more dangerous for the Russian system <laughs> yes, exactly. uh, than the lacking of one <laughs> bottle of uh, booze. Um, but uh, when, so you said that you tweeted uh, for a uh, demonstration. Uh, so that's, 
takes us a bit more into what your project is. When uh, did you decide uh, to take action um, to create a different Russia? Do you remember um, that moment? Was there a moment? Oh, well, I just um, entered um, an already existing project. Uh, I mean, my boss, Alexei Navalny, he uh, started Anti-Corruption Foundation in 2011 and I joined in 2014. Uh, so uh, it was, uh, well, uh, I was just very furious because of the um, injustice uh, and uh, I became a volunteer for um, Alexei. I have never met him before. Uh, that was 2013 and um, he was running a mayor campaign in Moscow. Uh, so I just volunteered. Um, well, I just was... Uh, spreading leaflets and something like that. Um, and um, uh, in a year, uh, he found himself uh, under house arrest, uh, but he was still hiring a press aide. Uh, and so I am PR specialist, this is my education. So I decided that it would be a nice combination of my um, professional side and my um, moral duty. Uh, but, um, well, it was 2014 and I that time I considered it to be more of a job, like ordinary job with office and salary and so on. Uh, but um, since um, then everything changed, so it is not a job for me anymore. I mean, it is some kind of deal of my life, uh, something much more than an ordinary job. And when he ran for office in, uh, in Moscow, uh, he actually gained 27% yes, of the votes. exactly. Uh, and what he got from that was? Uh, he got from that that he was banned from any other elections uh, in the future. Uh, <laughs> so, yes, he, he, he came second uh, in that um, um, run. Uh, he was allowed to participate only because uh, governmental polls uh, showed that he would gain like 2% or something like that. Uh, so... Um, uh, the real mayor, I mean, the actual, the, the one who was mayor back then, he wasn't afraid of Alexei, uh, but then um, Alexei gained 27, and there were, of course, a lot of um, uh, frauds during this election. Um, and um, afterwards, he was just, uh, yes, uh, literally banned from um, elections of any kind. Uh, he tried to participate in uh, presidential elections, and actually he did participate because he had... Um, uh, the only uh, campaign that there was in Russia over the year, he was traveling across Russia and we had uh, headquarters in 80 cities and he just uh, went there, met people, um, uh, created protests and rallies um, and just talked to everyone. Um, well, and of course, in, in the end, when you just need to file proper documents um, to special like service, special place, they just um, rejected him. Uh, so this year of um, efforts was, you may say that it was um, useless, uh, but uh, of course it wasn't because we created a huge network of supporters all over Russia. Um, so it was important still. And uh, how did you create that network? Because uh, you mentioned you were impersonated uh, because of a tweet. Our heroine in the book is also impersonated uh, because she agitated towards um, uh, a demonstration uh, just before we went, into, went 
in here on stage. We um, talked about that maybe YouTube is going to be shut down in Russia now. Uh, and we are um, all familiar with um, um, with the situation about the free press in, in Russia. So how do you organize uh, this kind of uh, organization? Well, it was much easier um, several years ago because everything, well, uh, there was at least some kind of independent press in Russia and internet in general wasn't banned, Facebook, Instagram wasn't banned. Um, so it was much easier to spread information. Um, of course, um, the main source of information for all Russian people is television, which is a problem. And uh, of course, Alexei isn't allowed uh, to come any near um, state channels. Uh, so the only way uh, we have to convey our thoughts was through YouTube. Uh, so we created uh, several YouTube channels um, and well, probably our biggest one now um, has um, six and a half million followers. Um, so we just issued our investigations there and uh, this was like our main medium to contact people in Russia. Uh, now it is uh, much more difficult, but YouTube is still um, uh, not prohibited. Uh, so we still uh, do a lot um, with it. I mean, we continue to broadcast every day uh, and uh, we see how people are interested in what we are doing because our, again, our followers are just going up uh, every day. Uh, but um, it is true that um, I guess it is only a matter of weeks or maybe days until YouTube would be blocked in Russia. And so it will become much more difficult uh, to contact people there. But still, there is, I don't know, VPN, and uh, we are sure that we will find a way uh, to get in touch with Russians. So, um, what is Navalny's uh, project? Except from not being Putin. Oh, well, uh, he has an um, organization, Anti-Corruption Foundation, uh, and well, uh, fight against corruption um, is the main platform on which we base our work and our goals. Uh, it may sound narrow, but actually it isn't, because mm -hmm. corruption is the core problem of everything that is going on in Russia. And uh, even war in Ukraine is um, a consequence of corruption. Uh, so if we want to defeat Putin, and in general, to make Russia a democratic country, we need to uh, target um, corruption and corrupt officials. Uh, so this is what we are doing. We are launching investigations about them. Uh, we organize protests. Uh, we try to invent any possible tools to put pressure on, uh, on the government. So this is our work, actually. <laughs> um, and that's also um, our heroine, Anya, in uh, the book. She has many very interesting conversations uh, with police officials about some of them, about corruption. Uh, and uh, in, uh, um, uh, in one of them, uh, one of the uh, police officers has this long monologue about uh, corruption and how everyone is corrupt as long as they just have the chance to get something to steal. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think 
uh, the way you see it, uh, what makes a person corrupt? Um, well, I think um, uh, the lack of institutions that um, can control um, this person. I mean, well, if you have free press and independent courts, uh, and um, you know that your uh, term as for example, a president uh, would be over in four years, and uh, I mean, it is not like for eternity, uh, then you uh, would feel um, some pressure in a good way. I mean, you would try to uh, be um, a sensible and nice guy because you know that you can be punished uh, for uh, something bad that you have done. Uh, and um, so this is why uh, Putin... Uh, Step by step, he just uh, ruined uh, every uh, free and independent institution in Russia so that uh, there wouldn't be anything to control him. And so he would be like a tsar of Russia and uh, without, um, without any limits. Uh, but if you take it down to the um, individual level, uh, so two of our police friends from the book, um, the one that uh, has quite a sympathy towards corruption and just accept that this is the way Russia goes round, <laughs> uh, and the other guy, a bit younger one, who actually almost wants to join uh, <laughs> An Anya's uh, fight against uh, corruption. Is it only a generation gap between them? What makes one of the policemen corrupt and the other one not? Uh, yes, you may say that there is um, a generation gap, uh, but um, uh, again, this is how Russia now works. Now, people um, uh, do have corruption on a daily basis. Uh, so, I mean, if um, the top guy is corrupt, then it uh, it is um, like people perceive it like it is some normal thing. So, of mm. course, like everyone uh, should be corrupt. I mean, it is much easier to do business like that <laughs> if uh, you just can uh, pay, like give a bribe and then you will achieve something. Uh, but the problem is that the whole system is um, rotten because of this. So, I mean, you just have uh, bad roads and you just, um, it is impossible to uh, put your relative into hospital um, if you are not paying bribes. So, I mean, it is not doing anything good, actually. Uh, of course, it, is, it doesn't. Um, but people, um, well, especially older generation, uh, they have never seen um, anything except this. So they try to adjust uh, to the system and they try to uh, persuade themselves that this is the only way um, we should live. Uh, this is a problem, uh, but uh, young generation, um, they have never lived in... Friday night. <laughs> <coughs> uh, they have never lived in uh, Soviet Union. They have never lived uh, behind um, Iron Curtain. Uh, they have internet, they have free borders. So, I mean, uh, it is much more difficult to um, oppress them. I mean, to, to uh, really... Uh, influence them and uh, force them to believe that uh, corruption is the only way to uh, live in Russia. Mm. And, uh, the biggest problem uh, with corruption is not that it's uh, forbidden, uh, it's that it destroys society. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it destroys, uh, uh, it destroys the, whole, the, the whole society, I mean all uh, levels of it. Again, uh, if we talk about war in Ukraine, uh, 
um, corruption made Russian army uh, completely incapable of anything. So Putin thought that um, he would conquer Ukraine like in a couple of days, but actually um, Russian army is so corrupt that uh, it, it just can't do anything, even uh, even bad things he wants it to do. So uh, this is <laughs> um, this is a problem. I mean, for everyone, <laughs> even for Putin, his own corruption. <laughs> well, maybe it's uh, that's uh, what's going to take him down. But uh, uh, if we we can come back to that later. Uh, so let's get back to the prison cell. Um, in uh, your book, Anya and her um, cellmates, they use their nights like we do now, uh, discuss uh, topics they're interested in, uh, smoke cigarettes and argue and uh, forcefully listen to the radio. Mm -hmm. But sometimes they also read. Uh, and <laughs> I have to ask you, coming from Russia, who has grown all these inspiring, deep, fantastic authors, why on earth is Anya finding herself in a prison cell reading UNESCO? But no, she wasn't. She was reading Dostoevsky. <laughs> but her uh, cellmate, who was um, uh, an Instagram model, uh, actually it is a nice word for prostitute, um, uh, she was reading you, Nosby. <laughs> well. Uh, how did... <laughs> it's a very interesting, uh, <laughs> interesting uh, move. But how did you? Uh, is UNESP very popular in Russia? Uh, it is quite popular, yes. Uh, and uh, actually, um, uh, me myself, I encounter a book of UNESP uh, in in my cell. So, uh, well, yes, uh, uh, some of my um, uh, cellmates uh, were um, uh, reading uh, it. <laughs> and uh, one of the evenings when they uh, discuss and um, talk about things they are engaged in, they get, in, get into why Anya is impersonated uh, and they get to talk about the demonstrations and uh, have a very symbolic discussion about the, about the, um, that shows different uh, opinions about uh, uh, why people protest. Mm -hmm. And especially one of the cellmates, Natasha, she uh, doesn't understand uh, why uh, Anya is demonstrating when she doesn't get paid for it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, is that uh, normal to get uh, uh, paid for going to rallies <laughs> in Russia? <laughs> no. Only, only actually if you go to... Uh, uh, pro-governmental rallies, uh, then you may be paid uh, or may, you may be forced. Uh, but no, of course, people who participate in anti-corruption rallies, uh, they don't get paid. They do it only because they believe in what they are doing. Uh, of course, there is um, there are some people who honestly believe that um, those protesters um, are being paid. Uh, as this is a problem of Russian propaganda, which is very powerful tool um, that government use, uh, uses um, against people. So yes, Natasha is definitely a victim of uh, propaganda. And this is why uh, she thinks um, that Anya was uh, being paid. But um, in fact, uh, prisons in general, I think, uh, in Russia uh, is a very, uh, I mean, a place uh, where people with very revolutionary ideas um, are being kept. Uh, I always, I mean, me, myself, I personally, always uh, 
felt a huge support when I uh, started to talk with my cellmates, uh, whoever they were, uh, because there is not a single person in Russian prison who likes Russian government. <laughs> This is for sure. <laughs> um, and uh, coming back to the policemen again, uh, what... They also uh, discuss uh, Anya's protests, not mm -hmm. only the corruption, but they also have a very interesting and uh, beautifully put and very good, uh, also in uh, Norwegian, di uh, dialogue about the protests. Uh, and one of the policemen gets really angry uh, with Anya um, because he has to work extra. Uh, mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> uh, and have to um, have to put her, uh, have to, and he doesn't really find any sense in what he's doing. Uh, can you, uh, is that... Uh, something uh, that is um, recognizable with the Russian society that many, when many of the people that has power doesn't really understand uh, why they have to use it in the way they're using it? Yes, that's true. Um, a lot of them just um, obey orders uh, and uh, they might not like them. I mean, as for policemen, uh, every time um, I uh, was detained uh, by them. Uh, we had some kind of talks um, and uh, actually they were very interested in what I'm doing. Of course they were very skeptical sometimes uh, or um, like dismissive but still very interested. So um, most of them are not very, I mean they're not very loyal to the idea that uh, protest, uh, protesters should be <laughs> detained, um, arrested and so on. Um, they just uh, are very, uh, they're very tired, but they have to um, obey orders again. Uh, and this is probably uh, the same thing with um, with the corruption. I mean, they just uh, believe that this is how world works and mm. they just need to adjust and uh, just, well, um, get it all done <laughs> and that's it. Uh, and while he's um, giving Anna this rant, uh, he says that uh, he describes protesters in a, in a way that's uh, very recognizable, um, that also has been come through to the press, that uh, You, your generation are only fighting the system uh, because you have a life that is so good uh, that you are bored uh, and you have to uh, find up something to do. And what you're uh, using your time on is to play heroes mm -hmm. uh, and take the streets and, uh, and use it as kind of, uh, should we go to the pub tonight or should we go to the pro protest or framing yourself as a, Uh, as a hero, without having anything real to fight for, because it's not possible. Uh, is that uh, something you meet often? Uh, yes, uh, there is a huge uh, portion of um, elder people mostly who believe uh, that uh, the young generation actually has everything they would like to, so there is no reason to protest, um, and uh, it is much better to um, keep silent uh, and not to shake this um, very vague stability that there is now. Uh, but um, uh, this is not how things work, and the young generation, um, uh, well, people of my generation definitely understand that uh, Uh, there is much better life out there and we just don't want to reconcile with uh, a tiny bit of it. I mean, uh, why shouldn't we live as our European neighbors? Uh, we have the same possibilities, the same opportunities. Uh, 
uh, well, everything we, we, we need to create a normal, democratic, prosperous society. And this is why people are protesting. Uh, but um, old generation, they are afraid to change anything because they have so many uh, troubles during their life. I mean, so many changes and so many uh, catastrophes uh, during it. So they're just afraid to um, rattle it uh, one more time. This is why they prefer to uh, to keep silent. And this generation gap is uh, very interesting. Uh, this uh, and the only fight that's constant in the world is the fight uh, between the old and the new. And it happens everywhere. It happens here. Happens in Russia. And uh, uh, Mikhail Shishkin, he was here on uh, Monday, and he described the situation in Russia as a cold civil war between generations. Um, is that how is the fight between the old and the new in uh, Russia now? Well, I wouldn't say that it much differs from any other countries in the world. So yes, people of course have different goals and different ideals in Russia as again in in any other countries. I wouldn't call it a cold civil war, <laughs> but but actually this is. This is a general, a big question because uh, uh, Putin now he represents this uh, old generation. Uh, he has very obsolete views. He he doesn't have cell phone. He can't use internet. I mean, he literally just don't, doesn't know how to use it. Uh, so his all his um, uh, all his ideas are very very outdated. Uh, and of course, this is a rule of life that um, something that is uh, young and bright and full of life uh, will replace uh, something old one day. Uh, so, well, probably this is not only uh, a war uh, between just generations. It is, uh, in general, a war uh, for Russia. Um, <laughs> and since you are mentioning uh, Putin, we have to talk a little bit about uh, the strongman fascination. Uh, in uh, uh, both in Russia and uh, in uh, your book that uh, uh, is in some of the conversations. Uh, we have all seen the pictures of uh, Putin as a strong man in uh, different ways. Um, do you uh, think that uh, the picture of Putin uh, without a shirt, on a horse, uh, in the cold, is a good picture of the Russian man today? <laughs> uh, well, um, I talked uh, before about uh, Putin's uh, obsolete views, and this is probably uh, one of uh, an illustration of such views. Uh, he honestly believes that uh, uh, that weakness uh, of any kind uh, is horrible. So the only uh, thing that uh, is important is strength, and so you need to uh, threaten everyone um, else around. And he thinks that. Um, when he is posing uh, topless uh, on a horse, uh, it would may, I don't know, women uh, just uh, 
respect him more, I don't know, vote for him more, uh, and so on. Um, but, uh, I mean, of course, life is much more complicated, and you don't need to uh, be without your shirt <laughs> to be a real, a real man. And, um, uh, well, but Putin just doesn't get it. Uh, he lives uh, in a very, very old... Um, in a very old world inside his head. Uh, this is quite a problem. <laughs> <laughs> that is a problem. Uh, so, um, so this picture that Putin has created about himself doesn't really compare to one of uh, his biggest fears. Uh, because um, uh, one thing that uh, Putin and men like him or autocrats like him fear the most is freedom and people who pretend they're free, even they're not. Uh, and uh, especially um, um, people that do not practice same-sex marriage, or uh, uh, both sex marriage. Um, so why do you think that a strong man like Putin uh, on a horse uh, is so afraid of gay people? <laughs> This is a good question. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, he uh, again, he is afraid of um, of anything that uh, he finds to be new. Uh, he uh, he's very uh, patriarchatic, patriarchatic. Mm. Uh, so how to say it? Yes, uh, I mean um, his idea is that there is um, a man in the house and he is uh, like a host, and there is a woman and uh, she doesn't actually. Um, have any voice, uh, all her, her area is kitchen, uh, children, uh, and uh, she uh, doesn't have any um, opportunity to decide anything at all. And so this is what he tries to uh, spread all over Russia, I mean, like, extrapolate uh, this view on whole Russia. Uh, so propaganda is uh, day by day going, um, insisting that um, women, uh, women in Russia doesn't decide, don't decide anything, that they just even don't want to decide anything, that they, their role is sacred, but um, very limited to kitchen. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so this is why he, Putin, I mean, if, is afraid of anything that uh, um, not, uh, that doesn't fall in this concept. Uh, and so uh, gay people, uh, as he sees them, uh, don't. So he would be um, afraid of uh, of them only because they just uh, shake their perf his perfect uh, image of um, uh, real Orthodox Russian family. Mm. And as uh, but some of the uh, or all the women uh, in the cell that we get to know, they want to decide for themselves. One of them exactly. even wants to decide how she wants to look. <laughs> yes. Uh, so um, that. Also, some of them uh, like Putin, uh, and you you really need to explain that to me. Uh, <laughs> uh, how come? How does United Women of Russia have members? Uh, how come women uh, in Russia sympathize with Putin? Can you please explain it so I understand? It? Uh, this is the only question of propaganda, actually. I mean, if you just. Uh, uh, pour this information day by day um, in everyone's head, then uh, some of people would um, eventually believe that this is the only model um, 
that there is in the world, and you have to uh, like uh, implement it yourself. Uh, and it is much easier to be dependent on someone who is strong and who would decide for you. And so many Russian women, of course, um, honestly um, think that this is a way uh, for them. But uh, of course, uh, in reality, I mean, women in Russia are very, very oppressed. And uh, it is uh, just a tool for government to control half of population, because it is much easier to uh, uh, control them if, the, if you uh, insist that they just don't have uh, uh, anything to decide. Uh, very easy. Uh, so, but in reality, a lot of Russian women, of course, they are very vocal and they have their own uh, views uh, and they want to participate in social life. Uh, but it is very difficult and it is very, uh, well, usually people around them um, don't support them much. So it is a problem, but it is uh, the only reason is propaganda. Mm -hmm. And uh, Anja reflects upon this uh, when she's in the cell and she thinks that she finds herself on the top of a needle pin, mm -hmm. um, uh, on the top of a pyramid. Yes. Uh, and she, find, she thinks that she is capable of having uh, reflected discussions about feminism with her friends in Moscow. And on the bottom of this triangle, there's women fighting for their right to exist. Yes. Uh, maybe often in, inside their own marriages. Um, how do you think uh, Anya could have these reflected conversations about feminism uh, on the top of a needle pin with her father? Uh, well, Anya's father is... Um well, he is a well-educated man, so probably uh, he shares uh, some uh, modern progressive views. But in general, he is, of course, uh, a product of, um, of previous generation and previous um, ideals. Uh, so he definitely thinks uh, that uh, uh, man is a leader in the family and a woman uh, should... Um, be by his side uh, and not very, um, well, not, not, not that important. Uh, so, well, this is why uh, Anya has uh, issues with her father and uh, just uh, unable to have a proper conversation with him when he uh, visits her in uh, detention center. One of the uh, things that are very often described in Russian literature is the corrupt mayor <laughs> and fatherlessness. Uh, so uh, this is very um, recognizable. But uh, her, uh, Anya's relationship with her parents also tell a very sad story about uh, how it is to practice same-sex love uh, in Russia today. Uh, and Anya has an experience also um, uh, with her um uh, the place where she's she's working in uh, um, the foreign uh, ministry department uh, because of uh, her um, uh, way of life or because of how how she's uh, uh, her same sex uh, relationship. That's a, a very um, tough part to read in uh, your book. Um, can you please uh, tell us the story about uh, how she uh, actually ended up losing her job 
in uh, in um, well, the she, foreign department. Uh, yes, she <laughs> was just harassed by her um, uh, superior, and she um, quite deliberately uh, decided uh, to have sex with him. Uh, well, I mean, uh, he uh, <laughs> he just threw himself on her, but uh, she decided to act along. Uh, and um, well, I mean, uh, I, I tried to create a situation when woman wouldn't be uh, like uh, an ideal victim. I mean, uh, Anya uh, tends to laugh about it um, afterwards, and I wouldn't say that it caused her a huge trauma. Uh, but uh, this is uh, what is happening all the time. Um, especially in Russia, especially in um, departments uh, like that, because foreign ministry and government in general is very, again, patriarchic, uh, and um, women are very undermined uh, there. So, um, well, this is um, how she lost her job in the end. I mean, just, she just, uh, uh, well, she just stopped working there after this uh, whole event. Um, it's a, a very strong story, but uh, do you, um, the way she reacts on this, she uh, laughs about it and uh, she kind of empowers from it. Um, how do you, would you describe Russian feminism at all? I think Russian feminism is the same as um, feminism in general. Uh, women uh, who just want to be uh, a part uh, in social life. Uh, it is about um, equality of rights. Uh, it is about uh, uh, being um, influential uh, to decide something. Because, well, as I told before, women in Russia definitely uh, have very uh, strong beliefs and very clear view of uh, future they actually want, but um, they are being told that they uh, should be silent and shouldn't be part of uh, um, any decisions. So, well, this is, this is feminism in Russia. I mean, like, actually the same. Um, that's uh, good to hear. And uh, there is um, no uh, Russian feminism. There is no Norwegian feminism. There is no Russian human rights. There is no Norwegian human rights. It's just human rights. Yes, uh, <laughs> exactly. Um, so, uh, I want to ask you, where did you write this book? Where physically did you uh, write it? Uh, did you uh, have an office? Uh, did you... Um, you have this extreme important political project. Uh, did you take a pause from it? How did you organize your day? when you um, decided um, to write this book? I wrote actually um, every hour that was, uh, that was when I wasn't <laughs> occupied with my uh, main job. Uh, I um, decided to write it uh, when I was in detention center because I got a note from uh, Alexei Navalny. Uh, he was um, <laughs> in another detention center <laughs> at that time. <laughs> uh, so we exchanged, exchanged letters and um, he uh, passed me a letter where he told that he was reading uh, a lot of books uh, I recommended to him uh, before. And a lot of them were written by women. And so he uh, started to believe that I would um, uh, do even better. So I need to write myself. Uh, I thought that he was joking, but um, uh, actually, Several years ago, I told him that I, I dreamed to become a writer, 
but I always, I was always sure that I wouldn't uh, build enough confidence and courage um, to actually write. And uh, so he was the one who inspired me very much. Uh, and this is why I didn't, um, I, I didn't have to divide my. Uh, office work and my book work, because um, he was the one who was encouraging me. Uh, and uh, actually, the only reason I finished in the end, because um, every time I had doubts, he was reassuring me that <laughs> it would be fine. Um, and I mean, in general, it is very important thing to me. I, I, I am completely sure that political views and in general, in general, views uh, shouldn't be separated from art. Uh, art isn't some sacred cow that, uh, and you just don't need to write only about some enormous uh, things like I don't know, love, death, and and that's it. You can write about about uh, modern life, day-to-day -day life, and it is very important. Uh, I hate self. Censorship. I mean, when you try to avoid some topics because you think that they shouldn't be very, I don't know, uh, <laughs> they're not going to sell very well, or uh, you are afraid of being punished for them, um, or that people wouldn't understand them. Um, art and uh, ordinary life are actually very, very united, and I don't see any reason why you should. Uh, divide these things. Um, so this is why um, I was writing during my um, work, I mean, when I have opportunity, um, in the evenings, in the mornings, uh, and I tried uh, to put my political views inside it, but not in uh, a way of some kind of political manifest. I'm not trying to persuade my readers that this is the only uh, right ideals and right perspective, uh, but I just didn't want to intentionally avoid this topic uh, only because uh, literature uh, doesn't usually go with politics. <laughs> yeah, I think they depend on each other uh, for <laughs> to make this uh, world take some steps uh, forward. Uh, there's not many press spokespersons for the most important opposition leaders in their country that also writes a book, that lives in exile. Um, who do you look up to? Uh, well, you mean in general? like uh, Who is your role model? Well, Alexei is my role model. Uh, he is the bravest man I know and uh, probably one of the most uh, sincere people. I mean, he's very straightforward, um, and uh, it is very refreshing, uh, because you don't need to in invent any um, like sleazy ways to uh, do something. You just do it uh, as you see it should be done. Um, it is very nice, um, very nice thing, and a very good example. Because when you see someone uh, who is so um, who is so uh, reassured about what he is doing, uh, and um, and who is not afraid at all, you just uh, somehow find strength inside yourself, and you think that if he can do it, that obviously I can do it as well. It is very it is a very good example. I saw a quote from you somewhere that. You got the question uh, whether or not you were afraid, and you said no. How on earth can you say no to that question? <laughs> Navalny is impersonated for nine years. Uh, 
uh, well, but uh, he is not afraid. Uh, and um, actually, it is not that I was born very brave. Um, there are two different processes. Uh, first of all, uh, this pressure was being applied um, step by step. It was not like it wasn't fallen on us uh, like immediately, instantly. It was very um, slow process. I mean, my first interrogation, it wasn't scary at all. It was very, very boring. Uh, <laughs> then uh, there was a police raid in our office. Again, it wasn't very scary because there were a lot of colleagues um, around me, people around me, uh, so I wasn't alone. Okay. Then there was a police raid inside my flat. Uh, well, I was alone. Uh, but again, I, I knew what uh, I should expect. So, okay, um, nothing scary. And so, I mean, first detention center, second detention center, then house arrest for seven months. Uh, but, uh, I mean, you just, um, you just, like, in some kind get used to it um, and so it doesn't scare you anymore and the other process is that you just deliberately decide that you won't be afraid and you just stop <laughs> that's it i mean uh, what you, ju you you just imagine the worst scenario that might happen um, and you think how you would uh, behave in such circumstances and you realize that uh, until you are sure that uh, everything you are doing is right, then, then there is, what, what should you be afraid of? Uh, uh, you are uh, honest with yourself and this is probably the main, the most important thing. And so this is how you stop being afraid. <laughs> Thank you for that recipe. <laughs> uh, you, among very many brave authors and politician voices don't live in Russia. Uh, how can we get a new Russia? Well, with you living abroad? Uh, well, in the internet era, it is much easier to be in touch. Uh, the thing is, I mentioned that I was under house arrest for seven months. Uh, it was actually last year. Uh, and uh, I felt much more isolated and disconnected from Russia when I was um, under this arrest because uh, um, my terms, uh, I was prohibited from using internet, phone, uh, from leaving my apartment and from um, um, talking to anyone except my lawyer. So no, no one can visit me in my flat. And I was uh, incapable of uh, working, I mean, because my work is in internet, um, and now I was unable to do it, and I felt so useless um, and so disconnected. So when I left Russia uh, after my trial was over, and of course I was found guilty because uh, everyone <laughs> in uh, Russian courts are usually guilty, um, uh, I felt that even... Um, even I live um, abroad for now, I am much more in touch with Russian reality because I can work at last and um, I have internet and internet is, uh, is the most powerful source for um, like channel to address um, uh, Russian people right now. Uh, so, well, um, I mean, uh, there are not that much problems uh, in me or my team, uh, our team, living abroad. And as for uh, 
future Russia and uh, uh, democracy in Russia, first of all, the only thing that um, uh, we need to be done is fair elections. Uh, Putin is very afraid of competition of any kind. This is why he uh, prohibited, he banned all independent candidates. Uh, so there is literally only uh, one surname on the ballot. I mean, there are others, but they just don't um, mean anything. Uh, people just don't know them. Uh, there, are no, there are no public debates. Putin has never in his whole life participated in any kind of public debate. He's very, very afraid of competition. So, of course, when people see just a ballot with an only uh, recognizable surname, his surname, they would vote for him. Uh, so it is um, not... Uh, right to think that the whole Russia supports Putin. whole Russia doesn't have choice. Mm. Uh, so if you present this choice, if there would be fair elections, I would assure you that like uh, in three months, uh, Russia would change completely because it is not people there who are some kind, I don't know, stupid or, or corrupt uh, or evil or hostile. Uh, Russians uh, want the same thing as everyone else in the world. They want to live uh, wealthy, peacefully, um, well, stable, normally, in general. And so uh, there, there is only government uh, and uh, that is oppressing them uh, and it should be changed. So this is uh, what I try to do and Alexei is trying to do. Um, and I am completely sure that uh, we will prevail in the end because there is um, a rule of life and historical justice. Everything that is old should be replaced with something that is new. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and the Russians are strong, independent, um, democratic, um, collective. Um, proud people that are our neighbors. Uh, they're just occupied by um, a corrupt uh, government exactly. right now. Yes, yes, this is all exactly. <laughs> uh, our time is running out, unfortunately, soon. Uh, but I just need to ask you: What do you do? You feel that like you have forsaken anything with this uh, uh, cho chose choose of life? Um, well, no, I, I, I think this was uh, the best choice in my life, mm -hmm. actually, uh, because I do what, um, what I believe in, and not many people, especially in Russia, uh, can uh, say this for them. Uh, and um, I have never, I have never need to, uh, like, make... Um, I don't know how to say it in English, uh, make deal with my own soul. I mean, I know for sure that what I am doing is the right thing. So, well, everything might happen, but at least uh, I would be proud of myself. Uh, so this is why I have never uh, be, I, I, I've never was ashamed of, uh, of my choice or uh, I never felt sorry for it, regretted. Uh, yes, this, this was a very nice idea <laughs> for me one day to uh, join Alexei's team, and I hope that uh, I will continue you know, work as a part of it uh, as long as it needs to be done until Russia become a democratic country. Uh, what is missing in Russia um, before it becomes... Uh, 
How can you build a democracy in uh, Russia? Let's say Putin is gone tomorrow. What does it take to build a democracy in Russia? Well, it is a very uh, philosophical question. Uh, but again, free elections, fair elections with, uh, um, like, uh, that every candidate should be allowed. Uh, they have to uh, lead their campaign. Uh, there should be debates, uh, arguing, uh, free access to television. And if uh, all of this would be... Um, if everything of this happens, um, then Russia, of course, would be democratic very soon. Because, I mean, of course, you would uh, vote for someone who um, uh, promises you uh, a normal life and not someone who is trying to recreate some kind of empire when you should be uh, poor, but, uh, well, your country should be very, very large. That's um, very interesting perspective, actually. So <laughs> um, I am completely sure that... Uh, uh, free press, independent courts, and fair elections is three key um, things to success. Uh, and um, if all of them will be applied in Russia, uh, then it would turn to um, another country immediately. Mm. I was supposed to observe the election in uh, Russia this uh, fall, but Putin didn't uh, want us to come. Uh, oh, well, <laughs> I'm not surprised. Uh, so... Um, I would like to say thank you so much for this uh, extremely insightful uh, conversation. Thank you so much for your book. And thank you so much for what you are doing. Because as we were talked about, there's no such thing as Russian human rights or Norwegian human rights. So what you are doing is actually fighting for our common freedom. Thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast from the House of Literature in Oslo, presenting adapted versions of lectures and conversations featuring international writers and thinkers. You can find more episodes and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud and our website. The music is by Apotek.